It's been kind of hard to keep up with all the measures that have been introduced against Russia in the last six days. One of the latest from Canada, a ban of Russian-owned or registered ships from Canadian waters and Canadian ports. So from sea to sky, many countries are clamping down on Russia's freedom of movement these days. In his State of the Union address tonight, U.S. President Joe Biden announced it was banning Russian flights from its airspace. Canada and the European Union did that a few days ago. Russia did the same to us in return. Here's Joe Biden. Tonight... I'm announcing that we will join our allies in closing off American airspace to all Russian flights, further isolating Russia and adding additional squeeze on their economy. So what impact will all these restrictions have on air travel, airlines, cargo? Joining me to help answer those questions is John Graddock, faculty lecturer and coordinator of the Aviation Management Program at McGill University. John, thanks so much for being here tonight. Hi, Ben. It's a pleasure. So, I mean, we didn't, when we spoke earlier or when I emailed you earlier, we didn't know Joe Biden was going to announce this tonight. We thought he might. Um, What impact does the American ban have in practice? Well, I think there's not much that they're going to do. The only thing that they're shutting down is airspace around Alaska, uh, where you might have some uh, trans-Pacific flights that the Russians may be operating that may use Alaska as a uh, pit stop for, uh, for fuel. Um, so that's shut down. Uh, I don't think Aeroflot or any of the other Russian carriers uh, have been flying anything into the U.S. Uh, since Sunday, I think, when Canada shut down airspace. There have been a couple of attempts, and I think we had one had to try to get around the <laughs> the uh, ban by declaring a humanitarian emergency and tried to, and did get through Canadian airspace, but that's the exception rather than the rule. So, uh, you know, it really is a, uh, a shutdown of airspace around, uh, around Russia. That's really the, uh, the key element of this exercise. Yeah, that was Flight 111 Aeroflot that sort of somehow snuck across the east coast of Canada on its way back from Miami on the weekend. Uh, yeah. And then apparently two, two other pilots tried the same thing and got told no way. Well, I think that, you know, I think that the, the NAVCAN got a little wise and they let one go through. Uh, but when they all start using the same excuse, uh, I think that's when the hammer came down and said, no way. So uh, those, air, those aircraft, subsequent aircraft, were denied entry into Canada. When you take this, when you add this all up, Canada, the U.S., the European Union, what does this do? What I mean, clearly, it essentially shuts down Russian planes from flying, more or less. Well, it, you know, it, it does to a certain, you know, if you want to get out of Russia and you want to go west out of Russia, anywhere you're in Moscow or anywhere, anywhere else, the only way you're going to get out of, of Russia now is basically using, you know, is flying uh, out east or southeast uh, and then be able to, to fly uh, into those intermediate points and then get out. Uh, so, you know, Air India, as an example, is flying flights from Vancouver to Delhi and they are going over Russian airspace. Uh, so, whereas Air Canada's flight from Vancouver to Delhi uh, is going via Dublin, Ireland, so and they're and they're skirting Russia altogether. So there's been a you know there's been some um, you know airlines that have you know been very very diligent in in, in enforcing uh, the ban. Other carriers, other countries such as India and uh, Singapore and those in the Middle East have not really banned their airspace. The airspace really has been a a European effort and now a North American effort to uh, kind of contain the Russians. And so the Russian border, uh, their Western border with Europe 
uh, is now literally, uh, they're locked in. What's the impact then? I mean, what, 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 what impact does this have on Russia and why would it be seen as being an effective way of, of trying to contain Russia or hurt, hurt the economy? Well, it's a, it's a way, for, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a message that, you know, the, I think the Europeans are, are giving to the Russians that, you know, we have a tool that they're using now, which is really restricting airspace. Um, it, it's over and above whatever they're doing in terms of, of sanctions. So it's not just, you know, economic sanctions being placed. You cannot transit. I think they're going after the oligarchs. They're really saying private aircraft, Russian aircraft, whatever it is, you're, you're going to be hemmed in. Or you're going to have to be, you know, find a very different and a creative way to get to your villas in Italy or to your to your chateaus on the French Riviera uh, or to your yachts that are sitting over in, in Greece. Um, you're not it's not going to be an easy access. You're going to have to do something creative to get there. So it's really more of an inconvenience. Um, and I think that's where, um, you know, that over and above the sanctions, I think it's really adding up to making life much more difficult for Putin and his group of uh, oligarchs. Just to make that clear, this doesn't apply just to commercial flights. Obviously, this applies to private aircraft as well. Oh, all aircraft, all, all Russian aircraft, all run, Russian registered aircraft. Now, Russia's done so, the opposite, obviously. Oh, sorry, go ahead, John. No, and I, and I was going to say, you know, the, the, the one thing that they've, that the, this, this, this exercise tends to do to people is that you know, the, the economic sanctions do have an impact on aviation in Russia. What happens is that, you know, the, the Europeans and the North Americans basically said the economic sanctions are in place. So a lot of the airplanes that the Russians operate in Russia, you know, are Boeing and the Airbus airplanes. And a significant number, I'd say close to 80% of the airplanes that they do operate in Russia uh, are leased airplanes. They're not owned by the Russians. They're owned by leasing companies and leasing companies are you know you know based all over the world and you know mostly in Ireland mostly in Europe uh, so it was about 600 to 700 airplanes that are going to be called back by the lessors over the next 30 days uh, and those airplanes are going to be repossessed by the lessors so you're going to have a significantly lower number of airplanes flying in Russia and it, that's going to start hampering the um, you know the Russian economy and it's going to get the Russians a little more upset about you know the impact of these sanctions, so there is going to be a, a knockoff effect uh, from the economic sanctions on the on the aviation industry in in Russia. Now I know Russia obviously responded in kind, uh, specifically to the EU, but also to Canada, no doubt to the US as well. What does cutting off Russian airspace? Um, to the rest of us mean, and you mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, for commercial flights, but I gather cargo is also, when it comes to Russia, cargo is a big deal. I remember being in Afghanistan and seeing obviously lots of Russian cargo planes bringing in goods. Um, will it have an impact on that as well? Yeah, it will. It, you know, I think that you're seeing, you know, the, the, the closure of Alaska and, and, the, and the operation at Anchorage, a significant number of Russian aircraft transit Anchorage um, on their route, whether they're flying from uh, from Russia to the U.S. or, or to Europe, uh, and you know, closing down the Anchorage fueling location is significant. They're going to have to find some other spot to land an airplane to be able to make it from, let's say, from uh, Vladivostok to Frankfurt, as an example. Uh, you're not going to be able to make it with your aircraft if you can't land someplace. And since the U.S. and Canada have shut down operations, it's really going to put a crimp 
on you know the the Russian operations, particularly from Eastern Russia, Moscow not so much because uh, they can you know whip around the top of uh, the Scandinavian countries that come down if they want to. But uh, in in operations, if you're going from Moscow to Cuba, and they you know or Venezuela, uh, <laughs> you have very few options left in terms of how do you get your aircraft uh, to fly those longer haul uh, high density cargo operations because Anchorage is now shut down. Supply chains are already an issue. What happens when you take Russian cargo out of it? Uh, it's going to get tighter. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, every, anybody's having any delusions here in terms of you know this not having an impact on our global supply chain. I think you're going to see a significant impact, whether, it com- whether it's on pharmaceuticals, whether it's on finished goods. Um, you, know, you have a product, which I find kind of interesting, is that titanium, um, is a significant export product coming out of Russia. Uh, and uh, 25% of the world's supply of titanium comes from Russia. And guess who's the biggest customer of titanium, uh, of Russian titanium? It's the aircraft manufacturers, Boeing and Airbus. And most of their airplanes are made with titanium. So, you know, they're going to be in trouble in terms of looking at getting alternative supplies of products like titanium coming out of Russia. And there's, there's wheat and there's aluminum. So there's a major R- Russian industrial infrastructure that is now going to be withheld from transport into the you know into the world's economy, and that's going to put a further crimp on the supply chain. John, have you ever seen anything like this with all this nope. space being shut down to different different countries <laughs> at different time? <laughs> no, this is this is this is this is a first. I think the speed by which it's being done. I think that you know I, I I'm waiting to see. You know what's what you know what our Asian uh, colleagues are going to do because right now, like I said, the, the Western world is shut down. You know along the Russian border, uh, so anything going west of Russia is in trouble uh, for the Russians. South, they 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 could go down to Turkey, they could go down to the Middle East, they couldn't go down, go down to the Emirates or Dubai, um, but who knows for how long that's going to last? So it depends on. The relationship that OPEC wants to create with Russia, they may want to keep that open for a while yet, but there's going to be a lot more pressure to kind of encircle Russia as much as they possibly can and to look at putting them into a squeeze. China probably will be the only outlet they'll have. Talking airspace restrictions and aviation in general, the President Biden tonight announcing that the U.S. is joining Canada and the European Union in banning Russian flights from its airspace. We've been talking about that with John Graddock, faculty lecturer and coordinator of the Aviation Management Program at McGill University in Montreal. Uh, this war, we've seen the price of oil, John, shoot up now above $100 a barrel. Last I looked, I think it was at 110 This is going to have another impact on the aviation industry as it's trying to emerge from this pandemic. What's going to happen? Well, you know, there's a couple of things. I think fuel is the one that's kind of worrying me more than anything else at this point in time. I think that, you know, once you hit 110, uh, you know, fuel is about 30 to 35% of all the expenses that an airline has. So, and it gets to be pretty impactful when you hit those numbers of 110, $120 a barrel. So I've heard forecasts today that if this maintains, this war kind of expands its horizon, we're probably looking at oil around 150 bucks a barrel. Um, and that will, in fact, shut down some airlines. You know, airlines will not be able to, to operate. You're, you're going to be looking at fuel surcharges at, at that we've never seen before being applied to tickets. Uh, it's really going to disrupt the, the industry, and it, and it really was going to be fuel. So, you know, it, it, you know, the question about war, 
the question about you know the the, the stability of air travel what you know you know our airlines going to want to risk flying airplanes into areas that are in, pro- in close proximity to to war activities and we see that you know they're avoiding of course ukrainian airspace and and probably about 100 miles outside of ukraine uh, so there's going to be as this war expands and involves more and more countries um, you know there is going to be a significant impact in terms of the airline's ability to basically try to muscle their way out of this plan and this comes at a time when airlines are just trying to get back to normal after two very bad years what impact will this have on on sort of on airlines in general and, and and what impact could it have on travelers if you're those of us who are getting ready hopefully to travel again are going to find themselves with some pretty expensive ticket prices i suspect i i think so i think you know we were you know prior to this uh, war being declared i think the airlines were very very hopeful in terms of looking at you know traffic coming back i think if you look at the canadian operators whether they're operating domestically or internationally there was a significant bump in terms of capacity being offered, there were sales all over the place. We have, you know, two new carriers showing up in Canada with, you know, with, with significant capacity. Um, you have, you know, Porter Airlines starting to make some noise to come back into Toronto. Uh, so there's a lot of capacity that was being wound up by the Canadian carriers to both address domestic demand as well as international demand. And Air Canada's schedule on the Atlantic for the summer had them going into 25 new cities. And, you know, unfortunately, most of those new cities are in Central and Eastern Europe, which is pretty close to the to the war zone. So I think that, you know, Air Canada might have to come back and review some of those schedules and plans and may have to cut back some of that capacity. So it's, it is going to be a summer of uncertainty, uh, both from an operational as well as from a uh, customer safety perspective. If you add that all up, John, given what we've seen the last two years during the pandemic, um, now with this going on with the war, how much different is the airline business going to look in 2023 well, th- than it did in 2019 and 2018? Well, I, I think it's going to be, it's going to, you know, it's already starting to look very different. I think, you know, if you, if you get on an airplane today, you go through the airports, it's a very, very different experience than you had in 2018, 2019. You know, you have touchless airports, you have sanitation, you have, you know, people walking around with masks in airports and on airplanes. That's not going to go away soon. Uh, so, you know, that's going to be an impact on the business. You see that the airlines themselves are, are being very cautious in terms of looking at planning um, you know, traditionally the airlines would in fact put seat sales on and people would book eight months, nine months, 10 months ahead of time to get best deals on, on seats and on fares around the, around the world. Now that planning cycle is down to weeks. Um, you know, airlines have no idea what the demand is going to look like in the fall of 2022. So they're putting stuff on sale in very, very short, ter- you know, in very short horizons. So the whole planning model, the whole selling of air of airfares has changed, uh, and you know the odds are that consumers are going to be much more weary of buying tickets that far out because their their money might get stuck as it was in 2020 uh, with airlines not wanting to do refunds. So you know the question is the buying habits of, of air travel passengers will change. The services you're going to get on board the airplane will change, um, and my my perspective is that. I think we're going to lose a few carriers along the way between now and 2024. 
they just can't afford to operate in this environment. Yeah, it's too. It's there's a lot of risk. You know, there, it, there's commercial risk, there's operational risk, there's financial risk, and, and some of these carriers, you know, are not, you know, have, don't have a lot of cash on hand. Not, you know, Air Canada is, is, is flush with cash, and supposedly so is WestJet. Uh, but some of the newer carriers, they're, you know, they don't have a lot of depth in terms of cash available to burn. Um, so whether it's Flair, whether it's Canada Jetlines, who hasn't got off the ground yet, whether it's Lynx, whether it's even Porter, um, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of new carriers showing up in domestically operate domestic operations, and that seems to be a lot of capacity in a market that's still, you know, kind of iffy when it comes to making travel decisions. Quickly, just going back to where we started on the airspace restrictions. Now we're going to look, I suppose, as you mentioned, for the Asian countries to to perhaps the Japan's, the Koreas, and so on, uh, South Korea's to try and to do the same. Is that something that you might be looking for in the in the next in the coming days? Yeah, I think so. I think I think you know the world. You know, I think what, what Europe, what the EU has done, what North America has done, is demonstrated to the rest of the world that you know these economic considerations, these economic sanctions, and these airspace restrictions are having an impact. Uh, and I think that, you know, I think Putin is going to be on a squeeze. And as your previous guest mentioned, I think that China may be his only way out, but that's not going to be a cheap price for Putin to get, to get flexibility. Um, the rest of the world, with the exception of China, is probably going to try to, to put the squeeze on it to uh, force a, a change in regime in Russia. The sky is not quite as open as they have been in the past. John Graddick, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate your insight. All right, Ben. Have a good evening. Thank you.